Welcome to the Resilience Rising podcast with me, your host, Jen Scottney. With the help of my guests, we will be getting curious about what resilience is, how we develop it, and the times we've used it. This podcast is here to explore all things resilience. I'm welcoming Annie Barber to the episode today. Annie is a diversity campaigner, the founder of a blog called Outside Our Way, which features interviews from people who are disabled and chronically ill, and a panellist on the podcast On the Outside, which offers diverse views on outdoor news. Annie is an outdoor enthusiast. She is a hiker, climber, stand-up paddleboarder and swimmer who's passionate about outdoor spaces being available to all. She also shares her experience of living with lupus and other hidden illnesses while getting outside. Annie has recently featured in a film called Walking Towards Pain by filmmaker Frit Tam. The film shows Annie preparing and completing a walk up Helvellyn in the Lake District. It's likely to be at the Outdoor Film Festivals this year and I will, well I have put the links to Annie's and Fritz's social media pages so you can find out how to see the film. I don't think it's available on demand yet. The film opens up the viewer to Annie's world of pain, fatigue and other symptoms both before, during and after the day which is so often hidden. Annie has been shining a light both on her own experiences and those of others. And I just can't wait to talk to her all about resilience. Welcome, Annie. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Cool, I'm good. Squeezing, yeah, squeezing in in a busy day, it seems. So I'm so grateful <laughs> for you making time. I just, yeah, once I came, I was so lucky to see the film and I kind of just knew that I really had to get you on the podcast. Um, so congratulations on that and the launch of the film. Thank you. I'm really glad you did get to see it. And I'm really sad that we didn't get to chat when you were there. Um, but yeah. You were the woman um, of the moment and had a big crowd around you. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it really, so afterwards we connected on, well, I was already following you on social media, but I did do a post where maybe you hadn't seen my background of having a chronic illness. And what really resonated was some of the discussions that we had after the film um, about kind of, showing up in that state on the film in terms of your pain and what was going th- you were going through and yeah how it really resonated like how much I used to mask and hide my illness and I'm guessing that often you have too yeah 100% I think I still do um but I'm trying not to as much or at least as much as I want to do rather than for other people's benefit or what I feel is best for me to get a job or, you know, fit society's expectations. Um, I feel it's important to remove that taboo feeling around, you know, what it's like to be a chronic deal person and the things that we do hide behind closed doors like unbrushed hair and... um, not so stylish clothing because we want to stay comfortable or you know just being in pain and being grumpy Mm. and you were diagnosed with your illnesses and it sounds like suffering a lot before you were diagnosed like at such a young age and has this masking or just kind of sometimes it's just kind of minimizing or sometimes hiding your illness always been a part of your life or is that something that's been more recent no it's definitely been something I've learned to do growing up because pre-diagnosis a lot of people thought I was lazy or I was really in self-doubt about um who I was what was going on with me whether it was all in my head so as you do you take sort of the external comments that you're getting from your peers from adults even at a young age and you internalize that and you decide not to show that side of you and that's pretty much something I've been doing for a, since a child really mm, and when and also when you said about the kind of internalizing from adults so does that include medical professionals because that was definitely <laughs> why are you laughing I just like it took me a long time to see the effects that um, the opinions and advice of the medical professionals that I had when I had a 
chronic illness, like the damage that that did to me. And I just wondered if that was where it came from too, those words that you said, like lazy or that it wasn't a, a serious illness. 100% I got, um, I think they call it medical trauma now or medical PTSD. I don't know. There's lots of things for it. Medical gaslighting. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, I I was look. I was fortunate that my mum was sort of by my side the entire time and she never doubted me so anytime a doctor even as brazenly as said no you're lying you're not in pain and that happened <laughs> I remember clear as day this happening she would go like put her hand up stop talking and be like no it's real and would back me but that's still you lose a lot of trust in people around you that you're supposed to trust yeah I definitely feel that too. But it took me a while to see that because I guess I, before I got ill in when I had my chronic illness and chronic fatigue, I hadn't really um, experienced that before. I'd always been able to put trust in those and those with the qualifications and the people that I was seeing. So it definitely, it took me a long time. And, and also once I recovered, because I was one of the lucky ones to recover I was kind of looking back like why wasn't I hammering on the door of the doctor's surgery every day and why did I accept them but I think it's very different when you're in that position isn't it when they hold the power 100% and it's exhausting to do anyway you're Mm -hmm. tired you're in these offices saying I'm in pain I'm exhausted I can't function in life and you're expected to then advocate for yourself against somebody who's a medical professional does hold the authority in the room and in society and has the keys and tools to everything that you need to get better. And all you want at that point is to get better. You don't want, I don't know, I don't know what they think you want, but you just literally want help and to get better, no matter how that is. Yeah. Yeah. We've kind of gone off on a tangent and I'm going to go off on another. No, no, no. It was me. (laughs) Normally I dive in like resilience. What's resilience? But we've, we've gone off on this tangent. So it's absolutely fine. I, um, the other thing that I suppose I was wondering was whether that, that sort of questioning and that sort of approach from medical professionals could have changed now because of long COVID and because of the sheer numbers of people that have had these similar, similar symptoms, but also the research that comes out that's actually I mean, in my case, I was just diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and ME and there wasn't research about this because it wasn't always thought of as a an illness that wasn't kind of just psychological. And But now there's so much science, there's so many papers coming out that are really relevant. So I don't know if you've had experience yourself or maybe just anecdotally feel like there is a shift at all now. It's hard for me to say because... Just before COVID, I'd finally managed to get the dream team of people and medical professionals surrounding me where I no longer had to rely on my GP who, for the one of the GPs that my surgery was fantastic and for the most part believed and did their best. The rest of them, I, I think one of them specifically said, um, you're going to just have to learn to deal with the level of pain like I'd not been doing that for like 10 odd years already um but you know um i i had the dream team of um a lupus specialist consultant in london who then put me in contact with pain specialists in london as well and one of the best sort of pain clinics in london um i i had access to resources that you know i had to take a two-hour train to but and that cost me money so it's a privilege um but that I didn't have previously and I've stuck by them since so um I don't know what it's like nowadays I, I haven't heard completely good things to be honest from other people who are chronically ill but that is their story to tell and yeah my anecdote is that you know if you have enough money to pay you know 100 quid for a return train ticket to London you can get great healthcare. <laughs> but otherwise I don't know yeah Anyway, we jumped ahead to talk about that. But yes, resilience, that's kind of what I get curious about on this podcast. And I do feel like, from my experience as a chronically ill person, that there's so much resilience day to day. We don't have a choice. It really is showing resilience in very small ways that lead, you know, add up to large um, shifts of resilience and I just wondered yeah what do what comes to mind when I say resilience to you that's really sad actually but it feels like resilience is just living mm. and that's that's a really sad 
to look at it. But it, it, it takes sort of a resilience and a certain level of, I suppose, tolerance for things to have a day-to-day life with a chronic illness and to then go past that and actually have a pleasant life with chronic illness, you know, an active life with chronic illness. Yeah, I think I think bravery, and I hate saying that, I really do, but I do feel like my resilience comes from an element of bravery that I now have, I didn't have previously. And tell us a little bit about how your symptoms from your illnesses kind of impact you day to day. Day to day, uh, I don't shower every day. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I don't. Um, it's it's kind of a thing. That I, if I have to leave the house, 100%, it's a shower. And if I have to leave the house every day, then I will shower every day. But it's energy. I don't do any cooking in my house. So I'll do things like sandwiches and breakfast and lunches, but I don't do any cooking meals apart from the occasional Indian curry to treat my husband. He does sort of all of that because it's heavy lifting, it's chopping. The other day I was creating a curry and I was chopping an onion and my hands hurt so much afterwards. Like the joints and my fingers were awful. Um, And I remembered why I don't do the cooking. And my only option for working is working from home, working as a remote worker because having to get up, shower, look nice, drive to or travel to whichever office and then work and then drive back is would floor me. I would have no life and I probably would end up having to quit from previous experiences. It's a lot of lying down. It's a lot of being sedentary and, you know, sitting on the sofas and reading a book and, you know, picking one or two or three chores to do around the house rather than blitzing a room. You know, it's doing the hoovering downstairs or helping put the dishes away or doing a load or two of laundry. It's not really um, a busy day compared to others. And how often do you compare yourself to others? Is that, I mean, for me, I just found that so unhelpful. But then it's also quite isolating because I ended up just kind of being in my own little bubble, which wasn't a particularly happy one when I was ill. I... I don't compare myself to others as much these days. It's not a never thing, but it's a rarer thing because I think I compare myself to myself these days. Um, I compare myself to how I was five, six years ago when I wouldn't leave the house because I was too afraid. And I was so, you know, I wasn't moving at all to the point where I had severe muscle wastage and was just in pain moving more because of that. I also then, as a downer, compare myself to how I was a year ago, maybe a year and a bit ago, where I was at like my peak, the best I've ever been with my health and the strongest I've ever been, which I'm now not at. Um, So I think I mostly have stopped comparing myself to others because like you say, it's not helpful um, and have started just comparing myself to myself, which is also sometimes not helpful. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were going to give me all the helpful answers, but it's... It's really hard, isn't it? <laughs> it? It's good. It's good and it's bad. It's like, you know, I, if I look far back enough, I can appreciate how far I've come to this point, you know, and, and really appreciate the things that I'm doing now, even that I wasn't doing last year in terms of advocacy. But then I think, oh, but I really want to be able to climb the way I could last year. I really want to be able to hike the way I could last year. I remember three years ago, I was out in the Peak District every weekend. You know, you have your negative times and I'm not going to pretend that that doesn't, you know, it, it does happen. You can't avoid it. It's just a about the steps you take around that to then give yourself a bit of self-love afterwards <laughs> yeah definitely and I think for me like just sometimes you really have to zone out quite far to see the bigger picture so that you can appreciate the ways in which you have moved forward I was going to say improved but I don't mean kind of that comes across from as being physically but sometimes that's I meant kind of more holistic I have a life improvement a quality of life mm. yeah I feel my quality of life is different now. And what sort of things what sort of things do you think have enabled you to improve that quality of life? I th- I think there is a stubbornness in me in in a positive way, I hope. <laughs> um where I, I I honestly can't tell you what happened to change in my head because it it was just like an overnight like something snapped in my head almost and I went into a really angry state of you know I'm always in pain I'm always feeling ill I always feel crap and I do nothing because I'm afraid to be in pain and always ill and 
it's not changing anything. I'm still always ill and I'm still always in pain. So I'm just going to go out and I'm just going to do a load of stuff and make myself even more ill. And that stubbornness and that almost rebelliousness has sort of pushed me to be curious, I suppose, about what I then can do and how I can do it. And is there a way that I can do it differently? And like, oh, no, okay, this is a line and that's fine. I won't go that far, but I'll look at doing this instead because that will help me um, to get outdoors or something. And it's sometimes to my detriment because then I'm like getting really agitated and wanting to go out and do a hike or a climb or something like that because I really, really just have got it in my head. But I won't do it because I'm not well. Um, but most times I would say it has really pushed me to be to always look for things, not better things, but new things that might I might also enjoy to add on to the joy I already have. I think finding joy in something is definitely what got me through. And I when you were talking then about that kind of curiosity and finding these lines, what came to mind then was I'm guessing if you crossed a line, you were going to have a flare up or there was going to be some very physical consequences. So was that how that experience was? You made it sound like it was kind of this stubborn but exploratory and like really positive. But actually what I'm imagining is you pushed, found that was too much. You had to come back, recover and then maybe try something else or do it in a different way. Is that what the journey was like? Occasionally, I'm... I've had lupus for 15 years nearly now, I think, 14 years, a good few years. And um, I have learned to some degree when symptoms are starting to suggest maybe I should hold back a bit. And there is a way that you just know, okay, maybe I'm starting to come too close now. So there were times where so I, there was a hike I did and I was constantly at this point, trying to compare myself to other people who are non-disabled hikers because I was fresh into the outdoor community or just into the outdoors in general. And I was looking at what other people were doing and looking at these online walks advertised that people put on like walks, blogs and websites. And they were all really long distances. And I was only and I was feeling tired at two. So my goal was to keep getting up the mileage. And I managed to get to about 10 and I think, to be honest, actually, stupidly, I knew when I got to the 10 mileage and I did that walk, I knew that I was already going to be starting to flare up very soon because I think I remember literally having the conversation of, I'm pretty much going to go downhill from here. I want to just do one last blast. That was a stupid thing to do. And I mean, that from the depths of my heart, that was a stupid thing to do. And it made me ill for months it took me 18 months to get off the steroids after that wow I it was it was a detrimental thing to do and I don't know if that's entirely how the flare-up happened but I definitely think I contributed by trying to extend my mileage every weekend we're talking um you know every weekend in the Peak District doing hills and different terrains and it was really great and it was amazing and it was fun but it was not sustainable um I think after that, I was a lot more cautious about pushing that boundary and that line. And I I might have messed up to the point where I maybe had a few days where I was like, okay, I overdid it. I need to spread my time out better or whatever. Or I've caused an injury here because my hypermobility is not there yet. Like I'm not strong enough to take that yet. But for the most part, I've been quite fortunate in maybe only having two or three serious events over the time that I've been doing this. And where does resilience fit in with that? Because I guess on one hand, when we talk about the resilience, that bravery, there's that kind of pushing to a certain degree. But is the resilience there, the kind of learning to live with, I can't do everything that I want to do? Yeah, 100%. That is one of the hardest things to accept. I think it's really easy to throw yourself at things. And I don't think people realize how easy it is to just go and push your body to its extreme again and again and again and again. Um, I mean, it's not easy. It's terrifying and it's painful. And I I feel like everything's a mental game with lupus as well. And I don't think people realize how big a mental game that is. And that's something that the film sort of aims to show. You know, there's an element of me that's just like, you know, I'm sick of being restricted and I'm that stubborn side of me. It's like, I'm sick of this and I want to do everything that I want to do because not because everybody else can do it, but just because I want to do it myself. And then that's the other side of me that's like, but you know the worst pain you've had and that's excruciating and you know the worst you've been and that's like essentially quitting your job that bad. 
you know, do you really want to end up on steroids again for another 18 months? Do you really want to go through all of that withdrawal you had to do? Do you want to do all of this painful and traumatic stuff to yourself again? So then there's that fear of even trying something new that might even be within my capacity where I feel a little bit nauseous and a bit, little bit nervous of, am I doing the wrong thing here? And am I going to cause a really bad thing to happen? Um, and I think the resilience is somewhere in the middle of being able to say, okay, I don't want to go too far over and do everything really badly, but I also don't want to restrict myself to the point where I'm terrified and I'm not doing anything again. So I've just got to centre myself and find, like you say, what works for me and what my limits are. And, you know, and even look at how I can grow those, but very gently and very incrementally and very sensibly and and sort of looking at the bigger picture of all of the things you can do. And it's the resilience is very much a mental thing, despite it being a very physical sensation. Yeah. And you mentioned the film there. It was it's such a... It was hard to watch. I was going to say it's a beautiful film, but it was actually, it was very hard to watch. And I did feel quite emotional seeing you going through such a tough time. Tell us a little bit about the film and how that came about. Hey, I'm sorry that it made you emotional. Um, I mean, it's kind of in a good way. You want things to move you, but I guess, yeah, So the film, like you say, sort of follows me and my sort of journey into climbing what is my first mountain ever. And it's just Helvellyn, which to a lot of non-disabled people is a very achievable mountain. Um, Yeah, you might feel sore for a couple of days at worst, but is quite achievable. Um, For me, it was terrifying because it's an incline and a level of, you know, intensity that I haven't done before. and I can't replicate much in the Peak District. Um, but I still wanted to do it because I wanted to open those options up. It was important for me to, it's that curious side again of, can I do this? If I can, how can I do this? Um, you know, where's my limit here? And it follows me up the mountain. It follows me back down again. I do summit, spoiler alert. <laughs> and um, it then also spends sort of the next half of the film showing that it took me two whole weeks to get back to my normal level my baseline um after the mountain that's how much it impacted my body um for three days I was working from my bed and you know only getting up to go to the toilet I was literally having food brought to bed um the pain wasn't awful that time which I'm quite grateful for but I was unwell it sort of shows I mean there's there's horrible shots in there in my personal opinion like of me in my pajamas with you know messy hair and you know literally just got out of bed because Frit Tam just appeared in my bedroom because my husband let him in the house while I was having a nap that was a whole new level of vulnerable I've not been before (laughs) there's a lot of you know trying to not let yourself mask and seeing yourself in pain seeing yourself grumpy and seeing yourself you know not be this really athletic person that you you feel you are when you're doing these things and um I feel that's important to share because it's normal for so many thousands of people it's normal and perfectly okay and very 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 achievable but yeah, I recommend that if you if anybody gets the chance, they should watch the film because I don't do it justice when I describe it. And I think there's a lot of things that people can take from it who aren't chronically ill or who don't have a disability as well, um, which I didn't think people would. But after our first premiere screening that you came to, I was I was surprised by how many people said that this part resonated with them or that part. Um, and what sort of things were the people that didn't have a chronic illness taking away from it? my body image issues essentially I think um I was really afraid of how people would perceive me um and how with the film and I verbalize this in the film where I I discuss uh without giving away too much essentially I um there's a fear of judgment from people who might look at me and think those things that I have been told throughout my childhood as we discussed earlier as a you know from doctors and things like that and putting it in film is is very much opening up to that judgment and and 
I said that and because my my feeling is it's better just to be open and honest so then everybody knows rather than try and pretend to be something or not. And that resonated with a lot of people somehow in, in many different ways of this idea of that fear of judgment from other people outdoors, from other people who might see them doing things, whether it be on Instagram or whatever, I don't know. And um, I, I was surprised by that. Had you been nervous before the filming of putting that out there? And has it been, does it feel easier if so? Does it feel easier if it's out there now? Or is it just going to be something that you might be nervous about on every screening? <laughs> You're nodding. <laughs> I know. Um Honestly, filming, it wasn't as hard. I know I was nervous. I was nervous on the films. But um, it wasn't as hard to sort of think about what other people were thinking at the time because the only people there were me, my husband, and my two friends who were the filmers. Um, It wasn't until I started seeing, you know, the end results and the drafts and stuff like that and realising people are going to see this. (laughs) Uh, we're going to be applying to film festivals and doing screenings and oh my god um, that I thought yeah no this is a little bit more nerve-wracking than I thought and I don't think it's easier I think I hope it gets easier I hope that with more screenings and more conversations and things like that it feels easier for me and hopefully for other people as well but it currently does not feel easier. Well it's I mean I think I said in the post afterwards, it, it's already felt, made me feel a little bit braver about putting my story out because it sounds like we, that I've had some similar thoughts to you about, about seeing as, as having shame around my illness, particularly like I feel like stress was a big part of mine and it was, have I made myself ill? Was I just not coping well enough? <laughs> I'm getting fingers pointed at me. Do they seem... Yeah. I totally, I have fibromyalgia as well, which has similar triggers to ME um, in the sense of stress and was I making myself ill and should I just go to therapy and they will fix everything and stuff like that. CBT was offered to me a million and one times. So yeah, no, I totally get where you're coming from to a certain degree. Mm. One thing that... And I think you should share your story. (laughs) I'm getting there. There's possibly a book. (laughs) No. Good. I want to read it. I do. I really do. It would make me feel more confident as well to see more people sharing this space, like get out there if you want to. (laughs) I think one of the things that kind of I was worried about in sharing my book is, am I, is it miserable? Am I miserable? Was I just crying too much? And was also I feel like I'm kind of I gaslight myself when I reread it in that was it that bad <laughs> yeah no I totally you're making me cry a bit oh sorry yeah no I totally get you I do I really really understand that idea of you don't want to be miserable and doomy and yeah no honestly you'll resonate with so many people and like that honesty that right there like that makes somebody connect like you've got me tearing up a bit that's you know that's important to share and be your true honest self because guaranteed thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands more people will have felt the same and not said it Mm. yeah and I think it is you never really know what people are going through and I suppose one of the things that people a few people have read my book were like just had no idea this was happening to me because I was so good (laughs) at hiding it (laughs) Um, and showing up and I think in that in itself was exhausting and kind of making me worse in private because yes once the mass drops and you you know it's it is exhausting pretending to be well and pretending to fit in 100 percent yeah 100 percent I I agree um I think people would like oh you know let me just come over and sit with you for a cup of tea and I'm like no this is a point where I need to be like my true like sloth self where I am in the three-day-old pajamas and like stretched out on the floor like just doing nothing with my life like this is what I you know that idea of masking can be exhausting sometimes um and no, actually, I had a couple of a family member say to me that they had no idea that I masked really well, and they had no idea that that was what 
I was going through at the screening, which I was actually didn't think of. So yeah, it's impressive what we can. We're fantastic actors, aren't we? We're amazing, <laughs> Oscar award winning. <laughs> yeah, actually, the your film <laughs> starring role is is the opposite. It's it's I know, and it's so important. So well done to you, and also to Frit and Frankie for what they've done for the film because it was it was a really. Yeah, powerful film. I think that's probably the word I'd use rather than beautiful. One of the things that I was wondering, and I think about this a lot, because I used to do big races and challenges, and I can't anymore. And I've always kind of thought, hmm, what what do I put on social media? Like, (laughs) my life's pretty boring compared to everybody else's, because I feel like, I mean, we have so much emphasis on challenges that people are doing achievements and have you felt that this isn't helpful for those who can't meet those standards or can't I mean I remember like like you've just said about how how Helen's most people can slog it out so how do we change that or do we need to change it we do need to change it but I think not in the sense of we need to well how I think there just needs to be different narratives. We can have the narratives of the massive achievements and things because for me, they do help me dream big. Oh, okay. Do, and you do find those quite um, some inspiring. Of them, most of them, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like I want to do a multi-day hike because I've seen somebody else do a multi-day hike. So I'm there thinking and working out the logistics. Not quite there yet, but, you know, it makes me think, okay, could I do that? Um, but also I think we need, we need that conversation of just normal adventures as well slow adventures happy gentle adventures and and not trying to achieve something with everything we do because my goodness I don't want to achieve something in everything I do either like we're talking like maybe a year maybe two that I want to do this multi-day hike I'm not bothered about doing it anytime soon I'm cool for just living for a while as long as it makes me happy and I think that needs to be a narrative that's included just as much if not more so because the reality is most people who get outdoors are not doing crazy, crazy challenges every single time. They're most people. There are there there a few that, you know, do do crazy challenges and enjoy their challenges every time. But most people are going for, you know, just a walk or a swim or a stand up, whatever you do, whatever your thing is, most people are just doing it because they enjoy it. And um, I think that's just the thing that we need to sort of, have as a narrative in in the industry in magazines in newspapers in whatever we're sharing it just needs to be not highly focused on the challenges there needs to be a good two-thirds of it of 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 not highly challenging things if that makes sense yeah it does and also I guess that ties into your work in kind of trying to promote diversity in the outdoors so that it's not focused on these extreme sporty achievements and I kind of wasn't sure because you've been such an advocate since I've been following you and I wasn't really sure how you got into being such a spokesperson whether this was a deliberate there's I need to go out and have um do this and this and this or whether it's more that you kind of fell into it organically I think it was more of a falling with a slight push um a an Instagram friend of mine at the time was uh zara the hill walking hijabi and we talked quite a lot i had started trying to just be a bit more myself on my instagram page and not just i don't know i was starting to share pictures of going outdoors and being like yay my fiber didn't play up today i didn't have a following i didn't have anything i wasn't aiming to and zara who i was talking to for a while um, sort of said I think you should share this I think you should talk about this I think it would be interesting for people to see like this hidden side of illness that nobody sees and how much it impacts and um, I think it would be good and then the off, off side of that so I started doing that and then the offshoot of that was I had a hell of a lot of people come back to me and say oh my god I know how that feels and that was like that then became what I wanted to focus on like these people who knew how it felt and weren't saying anything themselves you know why how can we let's go and live our authentic lives and not be ashamed to be 
who we are and not not everybody is some people just don't want to share some people just aren't that deep um and that's fine you know i don't think everybody should declare their life suffering on a plate but no i just sort of had a shove to be a bit more open about what my life was i was going through a flare-up at the time as well um it was actually that flare-up that i triggered by doing the excessive hiking every weekend um so from there I started sharing what was going on with me and then it sort of just, I don't know, resonated with a lot of people. More people started asking questions and then I got sick of talking about myself and wanted to try and highlight other people as well. And, so and is share that... the fact that there's a bigger community here. So is that outside our way, the blog that you have with interviews? Well, you, you're better placed to tell us what what that is. Yeah, I mean, there's a sort of a multi-fashioned there's lots of things that sort of come off from it now, but outside our way is a blog which is hosted by All the Elements CIC. And it, the idea is to sort of tell the authentic stories of disabled folk and chronic ill folk in the outdoors. Um, it's sort of the same questions every time of tell me a bit about yourself and your condition, but we don't go deeply into the diagnosis. And then sort of what's been the challenge that you have outdoors? How do you access it? You know, what tips would you give people who are in a similar situation? And what advice would you give to people who are non-disabled, non-chronically ill so that they can improve access? And it's just about really sharing that ordinary I mean, none of these people are ordinary. All of these people are really cool and fun and amazing that I've spoken to. Nobody's ordinary in that sense. But, you know, that 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 genuine story of their experience in the outdoors and how they experience it differently and in with needs and that needs are OK. That's the other thing, like the idea that needing help in whatever way it is, is is fine. And, you know, if you need that help, it's better to get it so you can go and enjoy the outdoors rather than restrict yourself and be able to very little. And then from that, the you know, I started talking to more people who are also disability campaigners. And honestly, I'm just sort of living for supporting other people at this point and watching other people do amazing things and try to back them because why reinvent the wheel twice? <laughs> you know. And what's the kind of future or is it? just wait still organic wait and see what happens or are there other yeah. concrete plans that you've got to take this um platform that you have uh now the weather's a bit nice i'm hoping to use the van to go interview a few more people i have got interviews sort of waiting to be written up i just haven't had the capacity i think the hard thing with doing a blog on instagram which requires regular content as well doing a blog and then a personal page when you're chronically ill is you just don't have the spoons for it like you mm. people have to sort of understand that it's going to come out in blobs and blabs and blibs uh, <laughs> because it's going to get done when it becomes something I can prioritize mm. because you're working full-time on top of this as well and one thing that I did want to talk about which is going off topic really was about lockdown and your experiences of lockdown because I went into the first lockdown chronically ill and for me I there were quite a lot of kind of positive experiences I think because suddenly I didn't feel like everybody else was kind of whizzing past and I was stuck on the hard shoulder because everybody's life paused and it kind of brought people into my world of yeah I can't go out nothing's happening I can't do what I planned and I suppose that's kind of a very minority view because for most people it was a very difficult time but suddenly I felt a lot more engaged like I could sit on my sofa and have a poetry reading or you know gigs went online I could um, do a lot more in my from what I was doing I think I, you know, it wasn't all positive in that it was, you know, there's also, <laughs> yeah, there's COVID. And I was also, with my immune system, I was very worried about catching COVID. But I just wondered what your experiences were, because I felt like as a chronically ill person, I, I actually had some of the skills and the coping mechanisms that other people were having to find straight away. So when lockdown kicked in, I had, when COVID even started, I had already just started going outdoors and really started them relying on that for my mental health. Mm. 
which you should never rely on one thing for your mental health. But I was I was still healing. I was in a very, you know, I was sort of just in my early rebellious phase of I don't want to stay indoors anymore. I was just getting brave. I was just doing these amazing things and seeing these landscapes that I didn't even dream I'd be seeing just six months beforehand. Um, and then I got told I couldn't go to the Peak District. Um, and at some point, like, because Derbyshire police went crazy with their rules here. Like, I couldn't walk to my local country park, even though it was in within walking distance, by my standards of well, of walking distance. Um, that was like, no, it crosses the boundary between, because the boroughs, mm. it crosses the borough boundary. So you're no longer allowed to go to this country park, which is like one of the few places I could reach with nature. Um, and I, I just, I became a bit, I got cabin fever quite quickly um, because I felt I'd worked so hard on my strength. I worked so hard on um, being brave and getting outdoors and finally found something that made me happy. And then that would all been sort of just snatched off me from COVID and being told probably rightly so that um, I shouldn't be driving to the Peak District, which is fine. It had positive moments in the sense that I did a lot more you know, when we could travel, it was a lot more in the UK because we weren't flying anywhere, which meant I spent more time at things like the coast and got into wild swimming when I, you know, when that massive flare up kicked in and I was on steroids, I couldn't hike and just ended up getting into wild swimming um, instead because it's much less energy needing. That's not a phrase, but, you know, you know no, what I mean? I understand that. <laughs> So it, it also meant that I could watch my football matches. Funny, fun fact, I'm actually a big football fan of Leicester City Football Club and I don't get to really go to the matches very often, A, because the tickets are ridiculously expensive. B, going to a match on a regular basis is exhausting mm. from my experience. Um, so uh, I got to they, they started putting the football matches on every weekend, which was cool because they didn't they don't do that normally you normally only get to see like one a month so got to see my football team on a regular <laughs> um no but otherwise I think um it was a hard period because I developed that like I say that um reliance on the outdoors mm. and you said about not kind of having one coping strategy which I definitely agree with like what other coping strategies do you have and one thing that I saw when you did an awareness for uh, a post about lupus awareness recently, you mentioned your faith was strong. And I just wondered where that had fitted in on the theme of kind of resilience and um, coping day to day. And yeah, what other things help you, particularly on those bad days? So I'll start with my faith. I struggled with my faith. Actually, lockdown helped with my faith a lot. I will say that actually wasn't specifically that lockdown helped with my faith but I just at that time everybody was on social media and I started speaking to um sort of that very niche outdoor group of people who were Muslim you know there were probably like three names you can pick out and they were the ones I was speaking to and that really helped me you know it was somebody I could speak to without it being family and fear of judgment about the feelings I had. And I felt like I could return to my faith a lot stronger because although I had returned, it wasn't easy. The type of thing I'm saying for most people will seem quite toxic in the sense of it's not the best type of trope to be using to declare anything, you know, as, oh, you should just get over it and move past it. That's not what I take from this. But the idea is that um, Allah will not give me anything that I cannot cope with. That is that is not within my path to handle. And that's not to say then I should just go, oh, well, okay, I can cope with this. And, you know, that, that statement in itself should just give me confidence and faith. But it's a good reminder that so far everything he's given me, I've been managed, I've managed to cope with. Not, not entirely, you know, I've come out with trauma and depression and scars and all sorts of things. You know, it's not that I've come out unscathed. It's just I, you know, have managed to grow and learn from most of the things that I've had even if it has set me back quite a bit some of them and that I don't know I don't you don't you don't know how to explain it but it's just it's a trust 
that you have to have. I mean, it's literally faith. It's a trust that you have in your creator. It's a trust that you have in your that in a relationship you have with just you and this your your God, your creator, your the all merciful and you know, it's it's something you develop. It becomes a relationship and that feels much more comforting to me as as something to turn to and something to look toward and something to, you know, draw back into in times of hardship and alone. Does it help? Absolutely not. But I don't think it's supposed to. It is sort of the grounding point where I can then move on to, do I need to go to therapy? Do I need to spend more time meditating or finding ways like going in the garden to be in the outdoors which actually is surprisingly helpful or you know it's yeah that's the only way I can describe it and it's not very well but no um, I found it a beautiful description actually so thank you for that and thank you for sharing it and also I was wondering about those kind of social connections either through your faith or just in general it sounds like from an early age you've had more challenges to make those connections I was thinking um, I know that through your illness you were homeschooled and didn't quite have those opportunities that most children would probably take for granted that they could go to school and make friends and so how have you managed through your illness to either kind of maintain those social connections or forge new ones? Very bad at maintaining them when I was younger um I was, you know, as sort of the post that you read said, I was all over the place mentally. And um, I wasn't the easiest person to be a friend of at the time because I was going through things that I don't think anybody, including myself, understood at the time. And, you know, there were a lot of friendships that I lost or that became not pleasant for both parties growing up younger. As, As cheesy as it sounds, meeting my now husband is like has been helpful for again grounding me in that in that way of all that social anxiety that I've developed over the years and all of that feeling that I'm awkward that I'm going to piss them off somehow sorry can I swear that I'm going to that feeling of that I'm going to annoy them somehow (laughs) (laughs) no let it out I'm happy for swearing I will um put a content warning on your podcast episode (laughs) Um, um, that I'm going to, you know, create drama or be a problematic person, which is how I saw myself, or an angry person. I've, I felt very, like I was a very, very angry person. Matt very much brought that reality back to me of, you know, it's just not true. And, you know, you have very many, you know, anyway. Um, I met friends through him, and some of his old childhood friends, which are now my long, 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 like 10-year term. No, not even 10. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, long term, like since 17, childhood friends type things, which just because they're nice people, we've managed to maintain. Um, and then I'd say just being myself started that real thing of creating my own friendships and the new connections I've made. Um, being who I am and myself and not trying to be somebody else, which I think I did too much over the years and, and really did me admit a, a disservice um saying i'm in pain so i'm going to just stay at home today saying i don't fancy going for a hike that you're all going on like a group hike so i'm just going to stay at the airbnb that we're having a holiday at you guys have a good time and and learning to set my own boundaries in an, in a comfortable and pleasant way and and from the beginning and just you know being completely honest and open and almost awfully so has attracted people that 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 vibe suits them that my vibe suits you know um instagram has been a great help for that um just incidentally you know the social side of social media really has been fun because that little niche thing of social justice if you want to say or diversity in the outdoors you know you've got something in common and you probably have very similar morals and feelings and also hobbies it's a win 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 maintaining it is literally just being brutally honest of i am sorry that i'm not feeling very well or i'm sorry i've not replied for a while and you know developing that kind of thing of not feeling like you 
have to put effort into the relationship when you don't have the energy to and them understanding that and if they don't then it's just not something that we can work with because some people don't can't work on a friendship like that luckily mine do i feel like i really rambled on for that (laughs) i'm gonna keep that bit in (laughs) no you didn't it was all lovely and i was just nodding and nodding and nodding because i think it's really important and what came out then was the importance of being yourself and that's that's not easy yeah (laughs) and i'm guessing that's kind of taken a lot of work it it did for me to kind of a lot of therapy (laughs) a lot of therapy uh well I'm gonna have to let you go because you have your screening another screening tonight but just how can people follow you and also keep up to date with when they can get to see the film I hope we've kind of teased enough and now people can (laughs) I'm hoping it's going to be coming out at some of the adventure film festivals because I think it would be really important that it does. Fingers crossed. Um, So you can follow me on Instagram predominantly at at Annie spelt. I mean, you'll have the spelling, I'm assuming, in the show notes, but it's at Annie underscore went underscore outside and um to follow the blog and read about other people's stories that aren't mine and get tips from them that are actually really helpful or hear what they need from you if you're non-disabled and non-chronically ill follow outside underscore our underscore way i really like my underscores (laughs) (laughs) until you have to say them (laughs) (laughs) Ah, you know what I didn't think it out at all but anyway um and yeah if you follow me or if you follow uh frit tam which I think is frit.tam much easier to say he's got the right idea (laughs) yeah or frit films which I think is one word um you'll be able to see more about the film hopefully a trailer soon some of the photos um and hopefully we'll be able to see you at like an in-store screening that we're holding or at fingers crossed some of the film festivals annie thank you so much for your time and good luck with the film and all your other projects and i hope to see you outside at some point i'd love to go for a walk with you in the peak district and i'm happy yeah. to happy to wait oh, <laughs> or turn around and i just bring lots of snacks <laughs> okay that's fine that, that's all i need in life happy to wait happy to turn around and have snacks i'll bring the tea <laughs> But no, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and yeah, also sharing your vulnerabilities both today and in the film because you're inspiring me to do the same. So thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Resilience Rising podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do help people find us by hitting subscribe, leaving a review or sharing us with others. Thank you so much and see you next time on the Resilience Rising podcast.